you're tuned into Decay Mag Podcast Online source for horror, thriller and sci-fi entertainment news Good afternoon ladies and gentlemen Good evening, good morning Whatever time of the day you are listening to DK Mag Podcast Season 6, Episode 8 My name is Ken Artuz, founder for DK Mag and in this episode we'll be presenting an exclusive interview with music composer Ronan Landa. We're going to be discussing his upcoming film that he provides a soundtrack for titled Eloise. We're also going to be nerding out on music in general, covering electronic music, music for video games. Stick around for that. And also Joining me as co-host is Stacy Cox, staff correspondent for DK Mag. We're on Stitcher. Be sure to rate and review DK Mag on Stitcher rating and reviews and help us rank. And also you could catch our podcasts on Spotify, Google Music, iTunes, Stitcher, as Stacy has mentioned, and also tune in. Wow, that's a lot of platforms, so don't miss out. And also, we ask the interviewees a question for you, the audience member, to answer. Be sure to check that out across our social networking platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. And be sure to reply. Don't just hit the like button and the, uh, what do you call that? The love button, the heart button. Reply. And we'll be covering some news on movies, television, and of course, our trailer first impressions. Movies, Hellboy Reboot gets 2019 release date. The Hellboy Reboot is scheduled for a release date for January 11th, 2019. According to the Hollywood Reporter, Lionsgate and Summit Entertainment released this interesting tidbit in late November. Despite appeals from actor Ron Perlman, he would not be reprising his role as the heroic demon. Guillermo del Toro is also on the sidelines. Del Toro directed the original Hellboy, which released back in 2004 which spawned a sequel four years later titled The Golden Army. Talks went back and forth, but eventually Hellboy 3 died on the negotiating table somewhere in Hollywood land. Neil Marshall would direct the Hellboy reboot and the cast stars David Haber as Hellboy, Milia Jovovich as Nemu the Blood Queen, Ian McShane as Professor Broom, Daniel Day Kim as Ben Day Mio. The screenplay is written by Andrew Cosby, Christopher Golden, and Hellboy creator Mike Magnolia. Now, here's the synopsis of Hellboy for those who are unfamiliar with the films. Hellboy comes to England where he must defeat Merlin's consort and Ymir the Blood Queen. 
but their battle will bring about the end of the world, a fate he desperately tries to turn away. Released in 2004, Hellboy, as you all aware, are is a film that blends science fiction, fantasy, and a little bit of horror. For those who are unaware, January is a month where production companies release films that they do not have faith in. And this is not an opinion, this is fact. This year you had Resident Evil and Underworld that made their final releases in January. These films could have easily been released during the summer season as summer blockbusters. But that wasn't the case. Even the Hellboy reboot features David Harbour as the protagonist of the film and I don't believe that his popularity from Stranger Things will carry over into this reboot of Hellboy. Uh, the creative team of Guillermo del Toro and Ron Perlman, uh, their contribution to the film and the original film and the Golden Army, it, it really resonated with fans and I don't see Hellboy breaking records in the 2019 calendar year. Stacy, what is your opinions on this Hellboy reboot and of course it's released in January. Well, I've only seen the first Hellboy. I don't know if there's um other are there other Hellboys in there? I've only seen the first one. But yes, um The Golden Army. I like Hellboy. Okay. Yeah, I like Hellboy. Um so I guess I'd say like a, a reboot, maybe. <laughs> yeah. But they, oh David Harper, he's really good. He'll be good. Yeah, he's riding on his popularity in Stranger Things, and uh, mm-hmm. I don't think it's gonna. January is not a month for films, uh, especially of this caliber. <laughs> if they really wanted this film to have a wider audience, it would be released in the summertime. Yeah, you were saying. Um you were saying a while back that movies released in January have a tendency not to be good. Well, the movie could be good. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just that the movie companies, they don't believe in the project. They just dump it on January. And the reason is because January is the fall over from the holiday season. Everybody's focused on uh, being with the family, Christmas shopping, New Year's. That's in winter time as well people don't want to venture out into the movie theaters that is a bad month to release so they figured hey let's just drop these films in january because we need a release date then they do not tend to do well okay yeah i think uh david harper is a good choice he's a great actor of course he did phenomenal and stranger things so my I'm not very um, familiar with the Hellboy franchise. Yeah, I I'm, I would always go with Ron Perman though. He definitely fits the character. He gives it a different persona. 
perhaps uh, those listening would say, "You can't. How are you gonna judge uh, David Hopper if you haven't acted yet?" No, no, no. That role definitely resonates with Ron Perlman. You cannot. You can't substitute that. No. That's like putting Ben Affleck as Batman. Oh, guess what? They already did that. <laughs> He wasn't a bad Batman. A lot of people didn't like have been out like his Batman. <laughs> uh, that role goes for uh, Christian Bale, definitely. For modern Batman, yeah. Fits, fits the bill. Sci-Fi Deep Blue Sea 2 principal photography begins. Deep Blue Sea 2 has begun production. Photography has begun in Cape Town, South Africa. Darren Scott is the director. The writers are Eric Patterson, Hans Rodionoff, and Jessica Scott. The cast stars Danielle Savory, Rod Mays, and Michael B. A release date. The plot kicks off with sharp conservationist Dr. Misty Calhoun, who is portrayed by Sabre, invited to consult on a top secret project run by pharmaceutical billionaire Carl Durant, portrayed by Beach. Calhoun is shocked to learn that the company is using the unpredictable and highly aggressive bull sharks as its test subjects. You can probably guess where his, this goes next and Warner Brothers teases some personality from the sharks that'll be menacing these hapless humans. Uh, oh man, it's been forever since I last seen Deep Blue Sea. Um, and a sequel now? Well, I guess it's never too late for a sequel. Uh, what do you think about this, Ken? Deep Blue Sea. Uh, I don't think I have. I haven't seen the f Deep Blue Sea one. Hmm. I'm pulling up the information okay. right now on INDB. Ah, okay. Deep Blue Sea. Okay, so basically, it's a creature feature film about a giant shark. Uh, wait a second. Wait, I've seen this before. Yeah, sci-fi has done this film. Sci-fi has done films like this so many times before. Uh, something about a giant shark threatening people. It, it just doesn't resonate with me. Every time I think of that concept, I always into my mind I think about those films with the shark with the two heads or octopus shark or some crazy nonsense like that how serious is the sequel gonna be that's my question well it's saying um, here a quote from <clears throat> Matt Byerman creative executive for Warner Brothers it says we are a true sequel we wanted to keep the spirit of Deep Blue Sea and why people love it. The research that was used on the sharks in Deep Blue Sea 2 comes from the mythology and storyline of the first movie. 
we have given the lead shark a personality and hope the fans will embrace that as it really helps the storytelling and the narrative in a way that first one didn't. Deep Blue Sea has a slightly lower build, but once the rubber band snaps, things go boom really quickly. Close quote. Uh, so I guess, you know, given... I guess that, but that's nothing new. You don't give the sharks a uh, personality. <laughs> and you know, these movies nowadays, these uh, creature features or cryptozoology... What is it? Cryptozoology movies, you know? They're... They're always giving these, you know, these creatures personality, as they call it. Yeah, yeah. Right? Definitely. You have to give the antagonist a personality, especially if it's a creature. If you see Kong, the latest King Kong movie, they gave King Kong a personality. That's very good because audiences want to connect with the creature as the force of nature. But I'm not feeling this uh, film. How are you going to give a personality to a shark? The last movie that really successfully did that was Jaws. That, that creature had a personality, but it was coupled with the protagonist and how the, the guy wanted to kill the shark or what have you. Moby Dick, for instance, that's another uh a uh, creature with a personality. Well, it's gonna have to wait and see. That's our famous quote. Have to wait and see. Would you watch this, Stacy? I think you would. You 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 enjoy creature features. <laughs> yeah, I do. I do. Even the really cheesy ones. So I always give creature features a chance. <laughs> always. Yeah. I, I I don't know. I I've watched, I watched Deep Blue, uh, see the sequel. I watch it just just for the hell of it and see what it's what it has to offer. It writer to pen. Are you afraid of the dark? Paramount Pictures, through their sub company Paramount Players, acquired screenwriter. Gary Doberman to write a full feature adaptation to the popular 1990s anthology horror series Are You Afraid of the Dark? which aired on Nickelodeon. The news comes from The Hollywood Reporter which broke the story earlier in November 2017. Doberman is no stranger to horror cinema. He co-wrote the films It and wrote the screen co-wrote the screenplay for Annabelle Creation, both which released in this calendar year. Doberman is also serving as producer for the horror film The Children of New Line and is executive producer for The Nun, which is a spin-off from the Conjuring movie series. According to THR, $383 million was earned worldwide for Annabelle Creation and it earned $305 million. Uh, Are You Afraid of the Dark uh, ran for nine seasons and it got a start on Canadian markets before Nickelodeon picked up the series. 
I have not seen Are You Afraid of the Dark? But here is the general theme. This spooky anthology series for kids recounts ghost stories told by the young members of the Midnight Society tea as they gather around a campfire. Each episode opens with members of the Midnight Society at their secret spot in the woods where they prepare their fire and the night storyteller announces the title of his or her offering. However, the cameras soon leave the storyteller and switch to the tale being told. Doberman is quoted as saying, and is featured in The Hollywood Reporter, he says the following, quote, The show is about the shared experience of telling stories, especially scary ones. We're going to celebrate that with this movie and honor the dark, scary tone of the show, which was really groundbreaking for Nickelodeon at the time. I hope the Midnight Society approves, unquote. Well, Stacy, there you have it. We have a film version of Are You Afraid of the Dark? I would compare this with Goosebumps, and I know you're familiar with Goosebumps, Stacy. Yes. Um, so, if, I mean, if you compare it to that, then, uh, but yeah, I've never seen uh, the show. Uh, but I am excited to see the movie. I've been hearing a lot about it. So, and I actually might just find the show and, you know, watch it. But I remember the show. This is during the time I was watching uh, Nickelodeon. I do remember seeing the show, not seeing watching, but seeing, you know, commercials on it. And a horror tale for kids. That's pretty cool because at that time, I don't, I only, the only other one was Goosebumps. So it was just only these two that really <laughs> had that horror element. And I'm assuming that the fil- the feature film would be an anthology. If not, I hope they don't mess it up like they did with Goosebumps putting all the characters at once. Ah, that would be bad. Oh, I hated that. I hated that. It's like, um, just about every Goosebumps book ever made, every character ever developed in that one, in two hours. Was that even a two hour? It was like, what, one and a half hours, yeah. two hours? I'm like, how do you do that? How do you do that? Yeah, that it. I was looking forward to the Goosebumps movie. I was never a fan of the books or whatever, but I was just looking forward to it. And when I saw they added all the characters in, uh, now you have to highlight each character. Like put one movie about one, the next one maybe two or three, but not all of them. That that was just that was terrible planning. So I hope. Are you afraid oh, of the dark? Definitely. Doesn't do that. And I have to correct, uh, it earned $683 million worldwide and Annabelle Creation earned $305 million worldwide. Annabelle Creation, it did not get the attention it deserved. And uh, <laughs> hey, I don't know if I mentioned it, but uh, hey, th- that film, the first part was terrible. And I was just so surprised that they, they even pulled the second 
a sequel for that film. Just bad. Sherilyn Fiend to star in Losing Addison. Losing Addison is in production. Directed by Martin Bannon Valdet. Co-written by Adam Elliott Davis. The cast will co-star Sherilyn Finn from Twin Peaks. Adam Elliott Davis, Joel Robert Walker, Ted Rooney, and Shelley Lipkin will also co-star. A release date has not Synopsis, uh, Les McCuban spent his whole life in his twin brother Addison's shadow. When Addison's, when Addison severs their psychic connection, Les doesn't just lose him, he begins to lose himself. This is a, I, I, I have not seen Twin Peaks. Uh, Actually, I take that back. I've seen one episode of Twin Peaks. That was the very first episode I watched any after that. Um, but what do you think about Losing Addison? Losing Addison? This is the first time I'm hearing of this film. And just be, just for the fact that it's a psychological thriller, I'm, I'm all in. I do enjoy films that you know they reflect more terror than a supernatural film and let me reinforce that you could watch a supernatural film with all the jump scares and all the eye candy but a psychological thriller would just if done correctly it would have you leaving the room or the theater wherever you're watching the film at just thinking wow how did the character evolve or what was the character going through and things like that especially when it has to do with the supernatural and psychology those two mixed together they're awesome i agree i love um i love psychological thrillers uh as you said they can be some of the best movies when done right um i've seen some pretty uh, refreshing movies, so I'm looking forward to this. Oh yeah, absolutely. And if a quick search on Google, listeners can also find some more information on Losing Addison, which had a crowdfunding campaign and it, it had successful results. The Pled, the goal was 25,000 and it went to 25,206 with 77 backers. That's that's great. And this is also intriguing. A psychological thriller that came from a nightmare. That that really sticks out. I am definitely interested to see how this is going to develop. So Stacy, no word yet on the release date, it's just in development? Yes, yes, no release date yet. Actually, um, the information I gave was pretty much all there is to know um, at this time. 
Well, according to INDB, it has a 2018. Hmm. Yeah, definitely looking forward to that. Oh, okay. Yeah, looking at the article, there there was no release date. Yeah, that's that's typical. And INDB is kind of uh, well, their accuracy is about I would say 80 percent because the filmmaker has to update that information as well so 2018 perhaps or early 2019 whatever the case may be i'm i'm looking forward to this i i am intrigued that the film is based off of the filmmaker's nightmare and if that's the case you know he's gonna put his personal spin on the storyline Exclusive interview, composer Ronan Lander. I hate to be the one to tell you, but your father has passed. 1.2 million falls to you, but a small complication has arisen. His sister was committed to Eloise Insane Asylum, but she was never released. We have to have proof of her death. I have to get this death certificate from that mental hospital, Eloise. That place burned down like 30 years ago. Quick in, quick out. Piece of cake. On Thursday, December 7, 2017, I had the pleasure to interview Mr. Ronin Landa. Here is a description based on the press release DK Mag received earlier this week. Ronin is known for invoking gut-wrenching dread with just a chord. His ability to play that music on almost unearthly collection of exotic instruments allow Ronin to ratchet the terror to an 11. In Eloise, Landa states that, quote, The cinematic style conjured the filmmaking of classic noir thrillers, so my approach was to interwine the jazz-inflicted orchestrations of that era with more contemporary elements." Unquote. Well, as a music aficionado, interviewing musical composers are one of my personal favorites. It is interesting to hear the perspective of musicians and composers, especially when it comes to the evolution of music from traditional instrumentation to electronic music compositions. And I don't use the word electronic music to emphasize EDM, which is a music genre. I'm referring to the keyboard synthesizers and of course MIDI programming, which is an acronym for Musical Instrument Digital Interface. And this is the standard for composing electronic based music compositions. Landa's work spans across more than 10 years in the film industry, serving in the capacity as musical composer, soundtrack, and music department. His work include the 2016 film, film short Cradle, 2014 release Speak of the Devil, 2014 release At the Devil's Door, 2012 release A Haunting in San Pedro, the 2012 film The Pack, and 
Here is some information on the film Eloise that released this year and you can find it on Video On Demand iTunes. The synopsis reads as follows, four friends break into an abandoned insane asylum in search of a death certificate which will grant one of them a large inheritance. However, finding it soon becomes the least of their worries in a place haunted by dark memories. Robert Legato serves as director and Christopher Borelli serves as the writer. The film stars Chance Hart Crawford, Elijah Dushku and Brandon T. Jackson. The soundtrack for Eloise is available on Bandcamp and we'll be providing the link in our podcast notes on dkmag.com. And I'm going to start off with a brief introduction. My name is Ken Artuz, founder for DK Mag. Joining me this afternoon is music composer Ronan Landa. We're going to be discussing his various works, including the upcoming film, the soundtrack for the upcoming film, Eloise. Uh, thank you once again for your time. Thank you. And it's it's Ronan. I have to correct you because we're on the we're being recorded. <laughs> uh, R- Ronan? Yeah, yeah. Uh, thank you for that uh, correction. Um, okay. First of all, I would like to start off with the with the origin story. How did you begin your career in in this field? And I see that you w- attended NYU. Let's, let's begin from there. Yeah, well, NYU is where I did my, um, where I did some graduate work. But, uh, but you know, uh it's i think my origin story started long before then um you know i really growing up i kind of wanted to be a, a rock and roller i'm a guitarist um and i started becoming very interested in improvisational music and uh started learning all kinds of different different kinds of music you know my my horizons kept on expanding and expanding um and i realized I think sometime in college that it would it would be I was in New York City for college too so um you know that environment was really influential and I think I realized that film would be kind of an amazing place to explore all kinds of different music I had started taking an interest in in like I was saying improvisational and then experimental music but I still kind of had this rock and roll impulse and wanted people to be able to hear my music and relate to it emotionally so um, so I think, you know, that's kind of how it all started for me. And uh, then I just started knocking on doors and trying to convince filmmakers to let me make some music for them. Oh, that's amazing. Uh, I have to say I'm a music uh, person myself. Uh, I know you're familiar with the Institute of Audio Research right there over at the uh, Union Square. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I, I never attended there or anything, but, uh, but yeah. Uh, yeah, so, so I'm going to nerd out a bit and throw out some terminology here. Um, for this next question, uh, I listened over to the soundtrack for Eloise, and yeah. the first thing that comes to my mind, uh, how do you compose the music? Is Do you do the traditional music writing, or do you use MIDI 
uh, which is acronym for Musical Instrument Digital Interface for those who are not aware. Yeah, MIDI, MIDI is, is, I mean, I think kind of, you know, people understand it very often as kind of like making music electronically or with your computer. Um, well, when I am, you know, I'm trained classically, so I'm very comfortable in that world, but I'm also, uh, you know, in, in the world of film, there's there's a need to demo and to um, show your work before you finish your work. And you also need a lot of flexibility because um, you're collaborating with filmmakers, so you need to be able to make changes very quickly. And uh, you're also... Um, uh, sometimes the filmmaker is changing things, uh, you know, they're, they're editing sometimes and you have to be able to adjust your music very quickly. So because of that, you know, working in the electronic sphere is much more suited to, um, to film scoring. But when I, that is, that's really kind of the first stage. So, so I might, you know, finish my demos and my, you know, we call them mock-ups very often, but I finish my mock-ups on uh, on the electronic side of things. But then, you know, especially a film like Eloise, where we're recording orchestra and lots of instruments, you know, it has to be orchestrated in notation and brought back into kind of the traditional sheet music world. Because there's something, some things that you can only really express in sheet music. You can't really express them with a computer. Um, player directions and articulations and all the little subtle nuances of the music that really kind of bring it to life. So we always bring it back into sheet music and, you know, for the, for the recording sessions, the musicians have something very traditional in front of them that they're very comfortable with. And that really brings the music to life, I think. Yes, I definitely agree. And I've seen that the orchestras have had a major impact, especially not only in the film, but the video game um, genre platform, they have a huge following, a huge popularity with their soundtracks as well. Um, Absolutely, have, yeah. That's, uh, have you that's done really in video games? Is. I haven't done a lot of work in video games. I've done a little bit, um, and I'm interested. I, you know, I have a lot of I have a lot of friends who work in that world very regularly, and I also know a lot of people who are fans. Uh, I, I'm, I would love to get a chance to do more video games. I think, I think they're very exciting and, and musically they pose kind of a different challenge than film um, because you don't have the locked in narrative structure in quite the same way. And so I think the idea of creating a, a world with your music is more front and center with a lot of video game scores. Uh, but they're very exciting and it's so cool to see the fan response to the music from video games too. Uh, I think we're trying to bring that back into film as well. You see a lot of concerts of film music. So uh, right now is an exciting time to be making music because people are into it and people are into different things. And even though there's still kind of the mass consumption pop music that you know we all hear on the radio nonstop, and that's still part of our environment, I think because of all these different places where music has, where people have found that music can really enhance what they're doing. Um, we're finding lots of enthusiasm for different kinds of music and, and different ideas in music too. Uh, and that's, and, and of course all the, all the digital, you know, all the 
Spotify and YouTube and Bandcamp and all these kinds of outlets where people are discovering new music. I think it's I think it's a really exciting time to be making music. Yes, and I I noticed that you have the soundtrack on Bandcamp. Um, how is it this digital platform with social media easily accessible and pushing out content more easily? Do you feel that that's what's bringing a, a, a certain awareness? and an appreciation to the music now than before? Yeah, you know, with, with Eloise, I released it, you know, on Bandcamp and also iTunes and, and other digital platforms. Um, but I love Bandcamp because of, I think, I think it provides a nicer platform to interact with fans and to present your music in a, in a more... Uh, more elaborate way that is a little bit more reminiscent of kind of the traditional music releases, physical releases from, you know, when I was growing up. Um, and I think that that's something for, for artists that's really nice. And I don't think we want to be just kind of another, you know, you know, another jar on the grocery aisle shelf, you know, everything's kind of the same. Um, so we want a chance to be able to tell people what goes into our music and gets behind it. Um, and yeah, I, I think I think the digital uh, you know world right now is is really important to everything that we're doing. Social media uh, gives an opportunity for people to connect with fans and to uh, interact also with other creators and other creative people. Um, you know, I've had. I've had quite a few collaborations that have started through, you know, Facebook or whatever. And, and that, that's always really exciting because you're looking for people who understand what you're, what you're up to uh, and who can come together and create something even better together. In fact, with Eloise, um, you know, I, a friend of mine posted a YouTube video uh, of, some crazy percussion instrument that looked really interesting and I was listening to it and I said, Oh wow, this is incredible. I need this for, <laughs> for kind of my next thriller score. So I reached out to the guy. I mean, this YouTube video at the time I think had like 75 views or a hundred views. It wasn't, it wasn't like some big viral hit, but uh, my friend who's a percussionist kind of found it and uh, reposted it. And next thing I know I'm working with, um, with uh, Turner Matthews, who was a percussionist at the time, he was living in Ohio. And next thing I know, we're we're working together on creating a, you know, kind of a library of sounds that I could bring into uh, into the Eloise score. So uh, you know, that's that's really an example of how how cool this world is right now. Yeah, that's amazing. I I, I enjoy stories like that. That um, through the platform of the internet and social media, artists. Of and of any particular uh, talent, uh, be it paintings or, or musicians, can just come together uh, as a collective. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And for Eloise, I hope I'm pronouncing this Eloise, right? Correct. Eloise, Eloise. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, I see that most of the songs here are less than five minutes. So, what was the uh, idea behind such small compositions? Well, you know, the, the length of the compositions is always um, very, very much 
dependent on the film itself. So, you know, actually there are kind of two answers to this question. One is that, you know, a lot of these pieces, you know, they were, they were written for the film. And so with, with film scoring, the, the music is really driven by what's going on on screen. And, you know, you work together with the filmmakers to, to figure out, well, this scene needs music. And if this scene is 30 seconds long, you only need 30 seconds of music. And if, and if it's, you know, seven minutes long, all of a sudden you've got a pretty long piece. Um, with the uh, with the album, I guess the second answer to the question is that for the soundtrack album specifically, um, I put a lot of work into editing the music into an experience that I thought was, um, you know, reflective of, of the film and of the music and kind of a more artistic presentation of the music. So there are definitely a few cues in there that you know maybe had started longer and that i felt we needed to edit down um for the sake of a better listening experience um in an album setting as opposed to the film as opposed to watching the film so uh because i really think that they're kind of unique experiences uh you know watching the film is one thing and then when you're listening to the music i think you really want to have a a a, a really solid musical experience there too that stands on its own. So there were, there were a few longer cues that, that I, that I edited down so that, you know, it would be a, a tighter and more interesting listening experience. Oh, that's, that's pretty interesting. I did not know that was the, the, the concept behind. Usually I see a soundtrack and it will go longer than uh, that's thank you for that insight. And yeah, well, you know, I there, there I know there are different there are different schools of thought on this. I know that there are, there are definitely, and I think there are a lot of fans who feel differently about it too. You know, just having followed some threads about it on the on social media. But uh, you know, I know some people really want to hear the music one for one exactly as it appears in the film, um, and I get that. Um, but as the composer, I also feel you know the soundtrack album is really my opportunity to kind of present the music in an artistic light that reflects what I was trying to go for with the score in general. Um, and like I was saying, sometimes, you know, you write a piece and, and you're editing it back and forth anyway, because they're editing the film. And so sometimes you're lengthening it, shortening it. There are all kinds of things that happen to the music as you're working on it anyway. So I don't think that the finished film necessarily reflects every last idea you had about the music. And when you have a soundtrack album, that's kind of an opportunity to make your artistic statement as the composer. So I really feel like I want to craft something that speaks to what I was going for as the composer. So, you know, I hope some fans appreciate that, that outlook and, you know, I'm, I'm willing to debate the other one. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, um, jumping back to the, to the video game topic we just spoke of, I, I've, definitely appreciate the music elements of the video games and hearing your perspective and how each song was short for Edelis, it reminds me of how each song is also short for video games because they loop the track because the gamer is playing around and he's not going to be listening to a five minute track. It's just like one minute track and it's just kept on looping. Yeah, I think it really depends on the video game. And I know that, that, uh, that certainly for some video games, the the kind of the implementation side of it is is really sophisticated 
and uh, they have whole teams sometimes working, you know, uh, with the music to make sure that the music responds to what's happening in the action on the on the video game. So, um, so it's it's pretty sophisticated, and and sometimes it goes. Sometimes it's a, it's a pretty standard loop, and sometimes it's it's you know I think much more uh, involved. But uh, but yeah, it's it's a really cool sphere, and it's it's neat to see um, you know how music is is enhancing those experiences too. Thank you. And what were I mean? This you probably hear this question a lot. I'm just curious. Listening to the soundtrack for the Eloise is just so has that morbid foreboding feeling. What were the elements that, that put each song composition together to match these uh, particular scenes of the film? Well, with this film, you know, I felt that uh, we had, you know, a few different elements going around. You know, we obviously were, were in an asylum and, you know, we have this kind of, you know, classic horror feeling of the, uh, of the haunted asylum. Um, but, you know, there is also some very interesting elements in Eloise, like the, the element of, of time hopping and, uh, the, the kind of, um, I guess the emotional story between, uh, you know, our main character, Jacob and, uh, his family and his kind of origin story. And, I felt that you know we needed to we needed to kind of bring in those those scary elements or those thrilling elements you know for for some of the action sequences for some of the for some of the scarier sequences but you know we also needed to bring in an element of something a little more classic and so that's why the orchestral side of Eloise is much more uh, kind of rooted in in classic noir sounds, um, has kind of a little bit of a jazz inflection, and that was that was that was the overall idea with with Eloise was bringing together some of these very contemporary sounds that would you know thrill the audience the way that they're kind of expecting it, but also subvert the expectations a little bit by going by going a little old school and and showing people kind of this time time warp element with the you know that's in the film but bringing it into the music as well yes i could i definitely felt that i i enjoyed the vibe of this track uh for me i'm more of a electronic uh music kind of guy uh but i definitely have that appreciation it's so relaxing in in a very supernatural type of way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not all of it was meant to be totally relaxing, but but some of it was definitely some of it was definitely meant to be you know emotional and not just and 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 not just kind of you know over the top scary. It was meant to you know create an emotional response and and uh so that people would really feel for these characters and and not just view them as you know what you know any any standard character that they would see but but bring something deeper to the table 
Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I'm, yeah, I gotta admit, I'm a horror guy, so I definitely have that uh, appreciation for the horror type. And also, if a story has a good character-driven narrative, that's definitely of importance. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think I think you know the the best horror films really know really know that that, that that's um, you know that that's what makes them successful. You know, some some horror films, of course, you know, love to love to go heavy on the on the gore and on the uh, and on the um, you know and on the jump scares and all that kind of stuff. And you know, those always have a place. But I think uh, I think even better is when they uh, also have you know real character arcs and really thoughtful storylines that keep the audience invested in what's going on and not just kind of, you know, watching something that's just, you know, a scare a second. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, I I, I appreciate all forms of the horror, but sometimes, you know, you just want to sit down and just enjoy a nice character-driven narrative and really appreciate for the characters Uh, and the music element as well. That's a huge contribution. Absolutely. I hope so. <laughs> Going to keep me employed. <laughs> exactly. Well, and I've I've interviewed uh, a few music comp- composers before, and one in particular, he was very funny when he composes his music to the to the film. He shows it to his kids so that way they could get a scare. Uh, do you do some type of? Uh, Torture like that to to your love was like, hey, look, I want to show you something. No, I, I actually most most of I mean most of most of this music I feel and my kids are really young, so um, so I'm not trying to 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 drive them totally crazy and you know have them you know scream all night, but um, but but what it does bring to mind was um, you know I I wrote a score for a film called The Pact a few years back. And I remember when I got the uh, the masters from the mastering engineer before we released the soundtrack. I, I was playing them on my home uh, on my home stereo, and uh, I think my my dog was still a puppy. And the first track starts with this really kind of loud um, bass noise, <laughs> you know, this this, this kind of this drone that comes in almost like a foghorn but you know i had i had the music cranked oh, wow. <laughs> and and you know it kind of starts a little softly and then all of a sudden there's this big foghorn sound and my dog just jumped and <laughs> ran under the, ran under the bed he was so terrified, oh, wow. um, but I remember that <laughs> poor, poor puppy. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, you have a traumatizing uh, story to tell there. <laughs> yeah, I've I've traumatized my dog with my music, but now he now he you know he comes with me to the studio almost every day, so now he's totally used to it. He just sleeps through all of it. <laughs> that's that's pretty cool, and. <laughs> With, with with the evolution of electronic music now, uh, we have more more synthesizers. And do you find that 
the traditional way of compo composing music is uh, fading away in favor of more electronic-based uh, instruments? Or do you find it is still there and still relevant? Oh, well, you know, that's interesting. I, I definitely think that, you know, electronic music has has made music making more accessible to people in general. So I think there are a lot of people out there that are toying around with, with electronic music and they're trying, and certainly there are a lot of, you know, really sophisticated kind of classical composers who then, you know, experiment with electronics as well. And that's been, you know, that's been going on for a long time. Um, but uh, do I think that the traditional way is relevant, you know, Absolutely, absolutely. You can't, you can't replace. I mean, electronic music and electronic sounds are great. I mean, I I love them. I use them, and I think they're you know they're a part of our palette, our tools that we have available to us. You know, Mozart had the tools that he had at his time, and he made music with those tools. We have those tools plus a lot more these days and, and, you know, people are exploring and experimenting and, and that's all excellent. So we should all go and, you know, make music with everything we can. But, you know, that definitely includes all the traditional instruments and all the traditional uh, forms of music making. In my mind, you know, electronics are great for what they are. Uh, traditional music is, is great, you know, performed by instruments is great because of the human touch. And, and you just can't, you can't replicate that with electronics. You can create sounds that are otherworldly with electronics that are totally interesting, but you can't replicate the emotion of, you know, uh, a violinist dragging their bow across a string and, and the vibrations of the air and how that, you know, impacts us emotionally. We feel it. We feel that, that human performance speaking to us and that's you know and that's why it's, i actually think it's it's just as relevant as ever and we see so many phenomenal musicians um you know all over the world and you know, it's, it's sometimes it's even it's even amazing to think that you know you'll see a viral video that was shot in some you know far away third world country of a music, street musician playing something that just speaks to your soul right away. It's just so, it's so communicative. And, and that's something that, you know, we shouldn't lose. And I don't think we are losing it, but I will say that if we're going to maintain it, uh, it, music education is so key. And it does, it's not just about, you know, creating the next generation of musicians, but people should know what it means to make music and should know how to communicate with each other through music, it, it, it brings our world together in, in the most important ways. And so, you know, that's something that I've been really involved with here in Los Angeles. And, uh, you know, I, I, I work closely with an organization here called Education Through Music Los Angeles, and I'm very proud of my work with them. Um, you know, music education is just uh, essential to our humanity. It goes well beyond um, just the professional side of it and, and really into, you know, what it means to be, what it means to be a good student, what it means to be a good person and, and, and speak through music. Yeah, you definitely hit the nail on the head there. And 
uh, touching on the educational part, I remember when I was taking my courses, uh, we, I was cutting reel-to-reel tape, and then from there, it was the DAT machine, and now everything is just um, hard disks now. So that's the, the, why I relayed the question. You see, the evolution of music is so constant. And, and, and that's the beauty, and it's always been, you know, it's always been evolving. And, and uh, you know, I mean, you, you go back and, I mean, we, we only have, you know, uh, music that we can recreate from the last few hundred years, um, you know, and recordings, you know, less than that, of course. But, um, you know, or maybe the last thousand years or so that music we can recreate. And, uh, and what you see is that every, every generation throughout time has, has taken some, you know, musical knowledge from the previous generation and expanded on it and built on it and found ways to, to bring in something that speaks to their time. And, uh, and, you know, we continue to do that. So that's, uh, you know, these days, yeah, it is very much, you know, the, the kind of the soundscape and the, the electronic music production is a big part of that. Um, but we have to have a very deep, you know, sense of what came before us so that we can, so that we can continue to innovate. I agree. I agree. And for, for horror, um, Luis, what is this? Let me see before I relay my question. Uh, Luis looks to be your first um, venture into horror composition. No, no, it's not. It's uh, okay. It's definitely not. No, I, I've I've done well. I've done a couple feature films with uh, with Nicholas McCarthy. Um, the uh, we did the Pact. We did at the Devil's Door. We also have done a couple short films together. Um, so I've done a lot of work um with him specifically uh and i've also and you know which you know which uh, was certainly different from eloise but um but we did those and uh i've also done you know some other projects here and there and you know really my my background i think in in concert music and, and kind of the academic stuff that i learned i feel <laughs> i feel like my music's been scary for a while now, <laughs> even when i was even when it wasn't for a horror film but but yeah so do you prefer the, okay here's here's a interesting question does the genre call your attention or do you attract it yeah i mean that's really interesting i mean i i have to give um i have to give uh again nicholas mccarthy a lot of credit for bringing me into the genre um you know i had like I was saying, you know, I think I always had this kind of experimental interest and, and, and bent to some of my music, um, especially my, my concert music and, and some of the stuff I was, I was working on chamber music and, um, stuff like that, that, that I think had, uh, kind of a more, I guess we could call it dissonant approach. Um, and in the film world, I was, a little bit more focused on, on drama and, um, you know, and I still am, I, I, you know, musically I'm very, very diverse. My career has been very diverse and I'm, I'm grateful for that. I'm, you know, I just, I just worked on a dark comedy and now I'm working on a, on a kind of a dramatic documentary. Um, 
so there's uh you know there's always kind of different projects happening and and lots of different music but um when I first met Nicholas McCarthy, you know, he had listened to some of my film music and he wasn't really that interested in it at all. He was really interested in my chamber music uh, and my more experimental stuff. And he listened to it and he said, you know, I think that you could do amazing work on a, on a horror film. And, um, and he took that leap of faith and uh, brought me on to um, the short film version of the pack. And, you know, we worked on that together and, and that led to the feature film and, uh, which we also scored. And, you know, it's just, it's, I've been very, very fortunate to work with a director who, who kind of understands my artistic impulses and, and helps me direct them into the cinematic world. Um, and he's helped me so much in understanding the genre because, you know, I didn't grow up a big horror fan. I'm I'm terrified of horror. So, <laughs> That's usually the case. You know, that is usually the case. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I I mostly have spent my time trying to avoid horror films because you know I'm just too scared. Um, but but you know I think musically it's 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 been kind of a cool thing to work on. It's something I really appreciate because I get to explore this this more um this more experimental side of my of my music making. Yeah, you, you know what? You, you're not the first uh, a music composer to have mentioned that they weren't horror fans, and then just it, the the genre just lured them in in some way or form. Yeah, I, you know, I mean, <laughs> I actually, I actually just, um, <laughs> I just recently uh, met a uh, you know kind of a revered horror film composer. Um, Charles Bernstein, and and yeah, he, you know, I I I think we all we all understand the 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 allure of the genre, and I think we all we all kind of um, come to it from this from this side of of we are people who are terrified, and and being able to key into those emotions, you know, and also having the background in in experimental music. Um, gives us kind of that world where we can, you know, where we can write this music and we can do it as professionals. Um, for me, you know, every time I try to watch a horror film, it's just, uh, it's just, it's so hard. It's so hard. <laughs> so, um, you know, but I'm, I'm, but at the same time, I'm so grateful for all the fans of horror because, you know, I, I actually really think that, that horror films are, are, very unfairly kind of maligned it's like horror and comedy they're very unfairly maligned very often i mean there's a lot of, there is a lot of kind of you know lowbrow work in both of those genres but there's also um there's also a lot of really thoughtful filmmaking and a lot of uh really powerful messages that can come through in these films and you know so i'm i'm really in awe of of the filmmakers and of the fans who keep this you know this genre going very strong yes definitely there is a a great many films that have conveyed even even the films with gore they have a social commentary and that's what makes these films so oh yeah intriguing. oh yeah <laughs> yeah and the, and and, the, and if and if done and if done well the gore can really contribute to that and be a part of that 
So, you know, it's, it's not, I don't think, I, I think, I think that's, that's, that's part of it. So the, the gore, the question is really if, if the gore is, is, is moving the story towards that message or, or, right. you know, right. you know, serving that, that greater purpose. Then I think when you get these elevated horror films, you know, you're, you're onto something really, really special. Exactly. Right. <laughs> and, um, what, well, we're closing out our, our, our interview. Uh, what's in, in the future for the 2018 calendar and beyond? What do you have working on and uh, any social um, networking that you want to share? Thank you. Uh, you know, I, let's see. <laughs> it is, it's, been, it's, been, it's been a pretty, it's been a pretty busy time for me. Um, there, there are, you know, there, I'm hoping that there's going to be some, some really good, really scary music. Uh, coming in 2018 um, that uh, I am not yet able to discuss because you know nothing's nothing's a done uh, you know finished situation yet. But there there are a couple things on you know on the radar and and I'm really hopeful that that they that they materialize and you know I get to continue to um, scare the hell out of people. Um, but um, but you know in the meantime. Uh, I am also really excited about about um, you know uh, there's a film that I'm hoping will come out in 2018 that I worked on this past summer um, that was it was a dark comedy very different kind of very different kind of musical world but um, you know we got to do a full orchestral score for that one as well um, without any electronics at all so it was a really kind of traditional score um, it's a movie called Yins. And uh, it's a really small independent film. That's a it's a dark comedy, and I think it's just absolutely tremendous. And I'm so excited about the the film and the music for that one. So hopefully we'll get our uh, we'll get our our premiere sometime in the next year, and people will get to start to see that one. I'm very excited about it. And and yeah, some uh, some other projects are are brewing, and I'm writing on another project that I can't quite yet talk about and there's uh, <laughs> some scary some scary music that's uh that's kind of in in the future in the next few months um if everything if everything works out to to plan then hopefully i'm gonna have some some really exciting great projects and um you know i've read i read these scripts that i'm absolutely in love with and i can't cannot wait uh to dig into into the music for those because it's going to be it's going to be really special well, I think, uh, wow, we're definitely looking over the, the way you're explaining it. Uh, they sound so intense. I'm looking forward to it when it comes out. I'm going to keep my <laughs> yeah. eye out for it. <laughs> yeah, the, and, script, the, script, the scripts were enough to, like, you know, I had to put them down a few times to catch my breath, you know. So, ooh, so those are so, good. Those uh, are good. <laughs> it's always the best. <laughs> and um, this is the part of the interview where I asked the interviewee, to come up with a question for the audience to answer. The question could be anything, the weather, the music, horror, any ah, question. Ah, you're that turning the tables on me. That's, that's correct. Ah, <laughs> ah, I wish I had been forewarned. I would have put some thought into it. A question. <laughs> so, um, well, uh, you know, I, he, here's, here's what I want to know um, from, from your audience specifically from you know kind of a horror magazine audience um which is um oh what a man i 
can't think. There are like there are like a million questions I have for your audience. I'm trying That's to figure out what the one, what's the one. Um, but I think uh, I think it would be I think it would be really cool um, to hear about uh, um, to hear about their uh, you know their top three favorite horror soundtracks and what they what they love to listen to uh from the movies awesome that sounds good i'm curious to see those responses too for there <laughs> yeah i'm sure we'll get some, i'm sure we'll get some good music out of that tell them oh. to post links tell them to post links to like their favorite you know horror track or the or, or uh album and we'll uh we'll get some really good scary sounds going uh, that's a good one links yeah, embrace music. I, I'm like I said, I'm I'm a music guy, and I, I try to stray away from the terminology here, but uh, I could geek out on this topic all day. <laughs> <laughs> well, anytime you want, give me a call. We'll keep we'll keep we'll keep uh, we'll keep chatting about it. <laughs> Definitely. Well, thank where, you where so you, much. Where do you where do you where do you publish the uh, the magazine out of? Oh, we're web based. I mean, yeah, no, I, I, I use magazine in the most digital in the most digital language possible. <laughs> I know. Um we're we're all digital and this interview would be part of our upcoming podcast, which would be recorded over this weekend, and it goes live across Spotify, iTunes, Google Music on Monday. That's so exciting. I can't wait to uh to be part of it. Thank you, and thank you for your time, man. Uh, definitely, if I had a few hours of your time, I would just, like I said, I just enjoy talking about. Well, any, any, anytime you're anytime you're in LA, just let me know. Come over to the studio, and we'll uh, we'll keep it going. Oh, uh, you see now you're gonna be all excited. I'm gonna buy my ticket right now. <laughs> <laughs> I have to update my studio. See, I have I have some retro equipment in my we all have to update oh, our studio that gosh. is that's the endless that's the endless problem with having a studio it never oh, ends just <laughs> never <laughs> i have i have i have these mackie uh, monitors it's like really and i see i go to these the, the websites to check out the new stuff i'm like Wow, and my wife she tells me nope, it's not in the budget. <laughs> I know, I know, it's endless, it's endless, you know, and they always get you. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> see, I, but, I, but, I, it's, but it's fun too, because I'll tell you something, you know, both on the hardware and the software side, um, yes. you know, people are are so are are so creative with the tools that they're developing for musicians to make music. It's so cool. We're we're, we're living in a really cool time, and I yeah. think people who who want to make music you know, just have more opportunity to do it. And I hope more people do it because that's the, that's the real thing. We just need to get, you know, the more people making music, you know, the better this world's going to be. Oh, and, yeah. uh, you know, telling stories and being artistic and being creative, you know, we're going to, you know, make the world better through art. And I, and I, I know that sounds a little corny, but I really, really believe it. I really do. Thank you so much for, for your time, for this interview. Uh, I definitely will be sending over the link once the uh, the podcast is available. Yeah, and, please do. Uh, yeah, uh, great, great speaking with you, and best of luck to your endeavors, and, and looking forward to these future projects you have coming up. Thanks so much. Really appreciate, uh, really appreciate the call, and looking forward to seeing it.
Television. Jordan Peele to produce the Twilight Zone reboot. CBS Television Studios has officially announced the reboot of the Twilight Zone. Overseeing the project will be Jordan Peele from with Monkey Paw Production and Simon Kinberg with Genre Films. Serving as executive producers alongside Peele and Kinberg are Marco Ramirez, Wynn Rose, Rosenfeld, Audrey Chong, Carol Sterling, or Carol Serling, Rod Serling, and Rick Burr. A release premiere date has not yet been announced. Uh, now, Ken, I don't know much about Twilight Zone. I have not seen it, the show yet. Um, what do you think about this reboot? You have not seen the Twilight Zone? What? That is a that is a travesty. That wow. No, no. You have to watch the Twilight Zone. That's that, that let me tell you, they presented some weird shows. And it it's an anthology series basically, and it covers everything from supernatural to human rights, racism, creatures, everything it was really ahead of its time okay yeah i know i have it on my watch list um i just haven't started watching it yet but i hear really good things about it wow i'm so surprised you haven't seen the twilight zone wow i i grew up with the twilight zone Tales from the Dark Side and The Outer Limits. Those shows were very inspirational, uh, you know, for for your imagination into the field of horror. And this is, I'm talking about when I was a little kid, uh, six, seven, eight years old, nine years old, watching these films. Uh, yeah. Well, watching these shows, actually. They're pretty good. Jordan Peele is joining for yeah jordan peele has a different take on horror and he's he proved that successfully with the film get out oh yeah that movie was that movie was great have you watched it yet yes i seen get out and i see where he's coming from with the social commentary Yes, yeah, I think uh, he he's a good choice to um, reboot Twilight Zone. Um, I'm interested to see how how where he's gonna take the show. I I still have to watch the show, but still interested to see how he's going to approach it. Exactly, he's gonna he's gonna deliver a good spin on it, and infuse some modern social commentary just like he did with get out and that that's what this tv series was all about is just presenting some thought-provoking material at that time so imagine now netflix black mirror season four gets release date black mirror for those who are unaware is available on netflix but here is some backstory for this ultra popular 
technological technoir themed anthology series. Black Noir is a British-American science fiction anthology series created by Charles Brooker and Annabelle Jones. Netflix just announced that Black Mirror Season 4 will launch on the 29th of December 2017. And it is a six-episodic series with one episode directed by Jodie Foster. Here is a rundown of the features that would be included in Black Mirror Season 4. Archangel follows a single mother and her daughter over the course of several years as the daughter matures. Black Museum is set as a crime museum that showcases a number of high-tech items. So the story follows a young woman who visits the museum and learns about a few of the specific attractions. The next uh, entry is titled Hang the DJ and it follows two characters who live in a world where everyone is paired up using an advanced dating system. Metalhead is a story about survival in a futuristic, seemingly post-apocalyptic world in which one specific kind of technology threatens humanity. And USS Callister is a feature-length episode set in space. Now, if you haven't seen Black Mirror, definitely check it out. It's an anthology series that focuses on technology as the central concept. These topics are, they resonate with social commentary. <clears throat> they vary from social networking platforms to your cell phone, your mobile phone devices, surveillance, anything that has to do with technology and what we take for granted. That is scary shit. Here is a comment from Annabelle Jones, co-creator of Black Mirror, and she told through Variety the following comment, quote, They look at it and think, I could see myself using that technology. I could see myself embracing that and then get hooked in it as we all do to the sexiness of technology and the ease, unquote. Stacy. I, I do believe I recommended watching Black Mirror. Have you had you chance to watch this anthology series on Netflix? I have not. Your, not your cue is increasing <laughs> dramatically. Yeah. 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 I, mm -hmm. I can't forget the time <clears throat> when I watched season one. And during one episode, a politician, his daughter, got kidnapped. And uh, the demand, the ransom demand, was for this politician to fuck a pig on live TV. That's insane. Yeah. <laughs> oh. 
And of course, there's other stories that involve technology. Season one, definitely give that one a watch. Like a, that one episode alone, I think that's what propelled people's interest in this series. It was just so far out. Bird Boy, The Forgotten Children. ¿Te acuerdas cómo era todo antes? Todo ocurrió en un solo momento. Despierta. Hoy podría ser un gran día. Hoy es el día. Siéntate aquí ahora mismo. No estarás tomando. Kicking off our trailer first impressions is the film titled Bird Boy The Forgotten Children. It is it has an alternative title in Spanish which is titled Si Coniaturas Los Niños Olvidados. The film releases on the 15th of December 2017. It has a one hour, 60 minute running time. And this film is an animated film. The director is Pedro Riviero and Alberto Vasquez. It is also written by Pedro, excuse me. It's also written by Alberto Vasquez and Pedro Riviero. The synopsis reads as follows. Three children decide to leave their home looking for a better life. Now, oh, watching this trailer, when the scene started to develop, I was thinking this has nothing to do with horror, but it doesn't in a way it has to it, it reflects a psychological perspective from a child's imagination and a child's inner psychosis this animated film is deep wow it, i'm just mind blown on the story which is presented and the trailer provides everything for the viewer to get hooked on it i enjoyed i would def i'm watching this film it's it's deep stacy what is your opinion on bird boy the forgotten children i'm i'm wow i'm amazed and how the quality of this animated uh film i'm right there along with you <clears throat> the graphic are beautiful as well. <clears throat> the cinematography, uh, it just, it is, it has a refreshing plot. And as I was watching the trailer progress, I just said, okay, I don't really have many words for this other than I need to see this. Yeah, this is, this has got to be one of those film trailers that makes you want to watch the film the story i wow that is a deep story like i said when i first started watching i'm like what the hell is this and then as the, the trailer started 
you know, going along. I'm like, wow, this is not a horror film. No, it's um, oh man, it's, it's like a it's dark psychological film, uh, and I I love that it's animated. <clears throat> we don't have very many um, you know, we don't have very many good dark animated films. So I definitely love that it's animated. Right, <clears throat> and on INDB, they classify it as a drama horror. I'm going to classify this as a psychological thriller because the way the the main character as he's going through his adventure, let's say, you see his personality change and those around him see, see him in a different light. I mean, wow, I just want to see this. I, wow. Is there's no... Wow. How come, how come Hollywood yeah. can't make movies like this? Even animated movies. Everything has to be so peachy dory and Disney bullshit. I don't like that stuff. Yeah, it definitely is. The trailer is breathtaking. So I cannot wait for the movie. And you're right. Hollywood, <clears throat> Hollywood is just not very original. They have great actors but horrible ideas for movies especially horror movies <clears throat> exactly and this animated film doesn't have traditional characters like human-like characters they look like rabbits and mouse and you know animal characters with human characteristics so, like I said, why can't Disney do something like this? You know, that's terrible. Or Pixar or some other animated company. Shudder George Skit Season 2. George Scott season two is set to premiere on January 18, 2018, exclusively on Shudder. The show is created by Henrik Jorn, co-directed by Anders Ekstrom, Jacob Strom, and Daniel DeGrado. The synopsis, Detective Inspector Eva Thornblad returns to Silver Height seven years after her daughter Josephine disappeared by a lake in the woods. Uh, the body was never found and the girl was believed to have drowned. Now a boy has vanished without a trace and Thornblatt wants to find out if there is a link to her daughter's disappearance. At the same time, she will take care of the legacy of her father, the great entrepreneur Johan Thornblatt, who built an empire of timber and timber processing in the large forest owned by his ancestors. As this plot deepens, more children are kidnapped and what initially seems like a police drama takes a more sinister and stranger twist with each episode. This is just a synopsis for uh, George Scott in general. <clears throat> um, Ken, I have not seen George Scott, uh, but 
the trailer and um, the development video. It, it's um, it looks really good. Have you seen Have you seen George Scott? Well, I was watching the, the behind the scenes story development for George Scott, and I would have to say the trailer that we covered here doesn't doesn't hold that substance to make you want to watch the film because i'm unsure if it was a mystery drama or thriller and then it had some type of supernatural vibe to it it was just all over the place but then watching the behind the scenes story development presentation then I got an idea. Oh, okay, so the film is man versus nature. Okay, with added subcontext of mystery, murder, kidnapping, and all those intriguing points of view. I what I want to I want to watch this film. It has a lot to offer. Yeah. Definitely yeah. caught my interest. Yeah, I, um, yeah, I, I think it's um, yeah, it looks really good. Uh, it's very psychological and dark. So I have to subscribe to Shutter again to watch it. But <laughs> um, I'm definitely gonna get. And I loved how, um, I loved how the director like talked about, you know, this project pretty much intimately you know he uh he has a passion for it and i love that um how did you feel about everything he was saying about the project and just about it being good and not being rushed you know like a lot of directors do nowadays they rush these projects and the projects are crap how, what do you think about that yeah i i enjoyed his perspe his perspective and how is he conveying the idea of the film and also that he adds folklore to the film so it's grounded in folklore from his native country into the film it, it just has a it's well put together and it this is the case with films created overseas the filmmakers from overseas markets they take the time to create a good story a good protagonist a good antagonist the visuals i think hollywood needs to look at these filmmakers and see what they're doing and change their whole idea because everything that's out now is superheroes and reboots give us something refreshing this is a refreshing concept i, I enjoy this this is awesome especially the part when the the dead the kids were on the lake and the dead body just floats by them and they get spooked out i thought it was just gonna end right there did you did you see that scene uh which scene again that the kids they were by the lake and the dead body oh, yeah. floats by okay i thought it was gonna oh, end right there so yeah i thought it was just gonna end right there no but the body turns around and it has black eyes i'm whoa what the hell is this shit no, 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 no. something's going on here oh uh, yeah that was creepy that that 
was well made. I wasn't expecting that. Playground. Kochani moi, niektórzy z was kończą tę szkołę, kończą szkołę podstawową. I cóż, zostawiam wam przesłanie, kiedy to pewien wielki władca rzekł do swojego syna na pożegnanie. Największym bogactwem świata jest rozum. Największą biedą zaś głupota. Najbardziej powinieneś synu bać się samo uwielbienia, a najbardziej szczycić się dobrym charakterem. Wystrzegaj się więc przyjaźni z głupcami, bo więcej przyniosą ci szkód niż pożytku. The next trailer for our first impressions is titled Playground and it has the original title Plak Za Bao. Uh, hopefully my pronunciation is correct. Plak Za Bao. And the synopsis for Playground reads as follows. It's the last day of school in a small Poland town and two school children want to tell their classmates that she loves him but it will not end well. The film is directed by Bartos M. Kolowski. He also serves as co-writer along with Stanowalt's War Was. Now, the trailer. I had difficulty following what the message was in the trailer. It looks to be conveying a message of uh, bullying as social commentary. Maybe I'm interpreting it wrong. But aside from that, what really intrigues me is always when children actors, child actors are portraying serious tones in horror films or psychological thrillers. That's always fascinating because portraying a role like that in whatever country, it, it you you have to have skill because a, a child actor can act in a happy family-oriented or Nickelodeon type theme, but to convey a horror or psychological thriller that takes skill. The cinematography I was interested it's well put together uh, so the director definitely ha has an eye for uh, camera angles but it's just it's hard to especially when it's subtitled I I don't know the translation was lost along the word I don't know did you find it difficult to interpret Stacy um yes I did um, it's really hard with subtitles because you're focusing more on the subtitles to see, you know, what's going on that <clears throat> a lot of your attention is just not really on the movie. So it's really hard with subtitles. But um, as far as like the trailer goes, it, uh, it, it was confusing. It was confusing one of those movies that you really have to watch. The trailer alone didn't really satisfy me. 
you know, like, okay, exactly what's going on here. So I can't wait for the movie. Yeah, I, I, I want I want to watch the film so that way I could get a better interpretation of what's going on. That trailer does not convey anything aside from cinematic quality and the, the acting, which were good. But the plot and the storyline and what's happening around the kids. I don't, but you aren't, did you get that it, it, it may be trying to talk about school bullying what school bullying the film did it try to convey that message to you about bullying oh um yeah i guess um again it's a uh, trailer is really kind of hard to read it's hard to follow yeah and I'm trying to put what the movie poster for this is trying to... I don't know what it means. This is so confusing. What does a fly missing a leg pinned to a wall have to do with the playground? I don't know. I guess I just... We get to have to watch this film just to see what the hell is going on. You were never really here. Close your eyes. I'm gonna ask you some questions. How many are there? One guy inside the front door, second guy on the top floor. After the tone, please leave a message. It's done. A man called, and he wants to see you right away. State Senator Albert Vato, his teenage daughter's missing. What's the lead? Release on April 6, 2018, directed by Lynn Ramsey, co-written by Jonathan Ames. The cast stars Joel Corn Phoenix, Ekaterina Samsono, Alessandro Nivola, Alex Manette, John Doman, and Judith Roberts. A missing teenage girl, a brutal and tormented enforcer on a rescue mission. Corrupt power and vengeance unleash a storm of violence that may lead to his awakening. Now, <clears throat> um, another trailer that was kind of confusing. What, what did you think about this one? You were never really here. Amazing. That's a, that's the only thing I could say. Amazing. The acting, the cinematography, the story. This is how a trailer is supposed to be cut up, edited, in other words. Because it provides all the information you need. It provides you with the story. It showcases the camera work. It showcases the acting. This is a fine trailer. I'm interested to see this film. Wow. Amazing. You didn't get that? <laughs> no, it's it's a good trailer. It's good. It's just, I'm just like, no, it's like, okay, what's going on here? <laughs> um, so that's like two trailers in a row. I'm just like, huh? Wait, 
So I, just, I have to watch the movie. But uh, it's definitely, it's good. Good concept, so, yeah. Yeah, and... A lot jo of movies. Joquan Phoenix. I have never seen him act so badass like this before. I mean, this character is badass, and the only comparison, and I, I think it goes across the board when when audiences watch this trailer, they're gonna compare it to Taxi Driver. And if you haven't watched the film, that was the same concept in which a taxi driver he goes into a rescue mission to save a young girl who is being exploited uh, on the streets of New York City. So he takes it upon himself to save her. This follows the same concept as this, but this guy, Jaquan Phoenix, wow. This is What really got me is when he went to uh, some type of house and he's armed with a hammer and he just... <laughs> That's... That's badass right there. Devil's Gate. Jonah? Those chickens aren't gonna feed themselves. Jonah? Jonah! Special Agent Francis, I presume? Welcome to Devil's Gate. Have a seat. Jackson Pritchard. I'd like to speak to him first thing. Most likely scenario? Maria finally got a belly full and she lit off with the kid. Closing out our segment for Trailer First Impressions is the film titled Devil's Gate. The film is directed by Clay Staub and is written by Peter Arpello and Clay Staub. The synopsis reads as follows. Set in the small town of Devil's Gate, North Dakota, the film examines the disappearance of a local woman and her young son Shaw plays an FBI agent who helps the local sheriff search for answers partnering with a deputy they track down the missing woman's husband and find out that nothing is as it seems the film stars Milo Ventimiglia, Bridget Regan, Amanda Shaw, Javier Botet, and Jonathan Frakes, who is well known as for his role in Star Trek Next Generation. That was a surprising treat to see him in that role. It definitely fits him being the sheriff. Here is, before I go into my film, uh, for my trailer first impressions when I watched the trailer to the to Devil's Gate the first thing that came into my mind was an actual case and this takes place in the Phoenix area 
and there is a man by the name of John Edmonds. He's the owner of the Stardust Ranch in Rainbow Valley. This location was also featured on the Travel Channel's Ghost Adventures. Now here's the thing. John Edmonds and his wife claimed that not only are they visited by aliens, aliens with the S, but also there are supernatural forces on the ranch and the ranch could be a portal to another dimension. He said that in the past 20 years he has been experiencing many strange events and that he has a samurai sword that he used to cut one of these supposedly alien entities wounding him and the blood is on the sword that I believe it came back un inconclusive. That's mind blown material right there. So Stacy, let's discuss this film trailer because I think you enjoyed this trailer as much as I did. What, what was your take? Um, um, it, it was, it was just, it, it was like an insane trailer. Um, I liked how everything was progressing. It was very, uh, it actually kind of gave me the creeps. So, uh, a lot of action that looks like it's going to be in there. And I just, I can't, I want, I really want to watch this movie. I really want to see this. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm a big Star Trek Next Generation fan, and when I saw Jonathan Frakes in the role as the sheriff, I was like, yeah, that's, that's cool. And then I see the other cast, Amanda Shaw, and I was like, wow, this is a well-rounded production. So the acting was good, no problem there. But the storyline, oh man. Uh, I don't know if they're aliens. I don't know if it's another dimension and you have these creatures. But as I explained, this is an actual case that uh, is going on at this ranch. So Stacy, would you like to live in a ranch like that? That has all these things going on? Uh, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> I would I would never buy something like that, but if it was something I like inherited or something like that, of course, you know, it's a pretty house. Exactly. Well, if you have a extra five million dollars, because that's what uh, John Edmonds is selling his property for, you could have a ranch complete with aliens and a dimension to another world and uh, other freaky shit that I wouldn't even want to be in the same room with. But in terms of the film, I want to see Devil's Gate. It releases on the 5th of January 2018. And of course, this is a horror sci-fi thriller, which runs one hour and 34 minutes. Yes, definitely. Two trailers this week that is edited the proper way conveys the message conveys the cinematic conveys the acting 
well done whoever edited devil's gate and also you were never really here Mm -hmm. that and i want to see i want to see playground oh that looks like such a depressing film but i want to see playground um george scott bird boy i want to see them all yeah this week we, we it was good selections this week in terms of trailers you but you know what i don't know if you've ever seen this movie um like, because watching the the trailer for Playground, it kind of made me think of that movie. Um, have you ever seen this movie called The Dow House? The Dow House. Welcome to the Dow House. Welcome to the Dow House. Let me see. I'm pulling up the information right now on INDB to refresh my memory. It's a comedy drama. Five salons. Um, it's the director. Okay, Tanshalans is the director and No, I have not seen this. Oh my gosh. Wow, this is way back because 1995 that was 22 years ago. I recognize one of the actresses there, Heather Matarazzo. Uh wow, she's young. Yeah, uh, that movie, like watching the trailer for Playground, it kind of made me think of this movie. There's the scene where um, she's in, she's in a, I think it's like some alleyway. It's been years since I last watched it, but she's in an alleyway with this guy uh, that she likes. And uh, he he pretty much like, you know, like they're on this ma this mattress in an alleyway or whatever. And so seeing that scene with Playground where, you know, he's like, take this off and everything. I'm thinking like, oh, geez, like what the heck is going on here? And then it just gave me a flashback to Welcome to the Dial House. And as far as how that movie like made progress is like very slow and everything. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm definitely captivated by that type of film because it, it just resonates like these kids are doing some type of bullying and that's the big topic now with our society oh yeah definitely it's got bullying in there it's drama so yeah Man, welcome to the Dahas. I'm still reading this. Nope, never seen it. It's a comedy. It's a comedy drama. Yeah. Um, to to me, it wasn't really that funny, but uh, it's good. But uh, yeah, it just it, it reminded me of that. So, Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for tuning in to DK Mag Podcast Season 6, Episode 8. And be sure to find our podcast on Spotify, 
Google Music, and iTunes. My name is Ken Artuz, founder for DK Mag. You can visit our website at D-E-C-A-Y-M-A-G.com. Once again, we are DK Mag, not DK Magazine, DK or the word DK. Joining me as co-host was... Stacy Cox, staff correspondent for DK Mag. We're on Stitcher. Be sure to rate and review DK Mag on Stitcher, rating and reviews, and help us rank. And of course, you can find DK Mag across social networking platforms Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Google, Pinterest. We're everywhere. Share our content, follow us. That wraps it up. Another week, a couple of more weeks, Stacy left in the year, and it's 2018. Wow, time flies. I know. Amazing. Yes, time definitely is flying now. Yeah.